Hey, Marianne. Hey, Amy. Have you talked to an Amazon Alexa before? Not really. Does that make me like a really weird person? But if I did, I would ask it to play my favorite podcast, Unfold. Uh, I know. I'm one of those people who doesn't have one of those. I do talk to Siri sometimes, usually by accident. Does that count? I mean, sure. They're both voice artificial intelligence. But Alexa and I have had a real conversation, and I recorded it. I bet she recorded it too. Creepy. She did, actually. She's part of a conversational competition. What? Yeah. Just listen. Alexa, can you chat with me? Welcome to the Alexa Prize, a university competition to advance AI. I'll get you a social bot now. Hi, this is an Alexa Prize social bot. So, what's on your mind? Let's dive in. The Alexa Prize. What's that? It's a social bot competition. You know, a UC Davis team aptly named Team Gunrock from our engineering department won this contest a couple of years ago. The goal is to create an Alexa social bot and get her to converse engagingly on a range of popular topics for about 20 minutes. 20 minutes is a long time, even for AI. How long did you chat with Alexa? Not long. Here's what it sounded like. What do you want to talk about? I would love to talk about anything related to sports or technology. What would you like to know? Should we be afraid of AI? That's a great topic. What do you think is the most terrifying aspect of being afraid of an AI? Of artificial intelligence. That's an interesting topic as well. Do you think AI has the potential to replace human intelligence in certain areas? No, but it's a fear and it's weird that you sound like a person. It's not weird at all. As a bot, I do not have emotions like humans do, but I can understand why it would be scary to think about the potential consequences of AI replacing human intelligence. Do you have any other thoughts on this topic? Yeah, that's kind of interesting because she says it's not weird at all, and <laughs> I do think it's kind of weird. But she also says, I don't have emotions, but I can understand. Like, I don't have emotions, but I have a brain, or essentially <laughs> the power to, right? The brain yeah. of a computer. Yeah, well, you know, I gave up on the conversation after maybe five minutes. She misunderstood me a few times. Yeah, like being afraid of an eye. <laughs> Again, definitely weird. And I had to repeat myself. Yeah, that happens all the time. And I slowed down my speech and talked a little louder and clearer for some reason. I do the same thing with Siri. Everyone does, or at least most people. UC Davis researchers have studied this. One of the things we do is called hyper-articulation. Sort of exaggerating our speech to be clearer, like we do sometimes with babies. Yeah, exactly. So we have researchers that study how we talk to AI? Yeah. Why? Well, that's the first question I asked Georgia Zalou, an associate professor of linguistics. For the first time in human history, I mean, starting since 2011 when Siri was introduced, humans are talking to non-human entities in a substantive and meaningful way. And it's happening on a daily basis. Um, and children are doing it and people of all ages are doing it. So trying to understand their impact on our language, our development, our um our sort of social life is something that we're interested in exploring. And there's so many kind of unanswered questions here. Indeed, so many unanswered questions. So Amy, is she suggesting that our language might even change over time as a result of us talking with voice AI? Yeah, it already is. And just how our future conversations will unfold with voice AI is what we're going to be talking about in this episode of Unfold. All right then, as the Alexa social bot says... 
Let's dive in. Coming to you from UC Davis, this is Unfold. I'm Amy Quinton. And I'm Marianne Russ-Sharp. Voice AI, or machine-made voices, speak to us all the time, whether it's Siri as our personal assistant or our GPS system telling us which way to turn. It's really become a staple in a lot of households. Yeah, GPS has saved my life more times than I can remember. But humans have been fascinated with making machines talk for a very long time. I mean, that's certainly played out in Hollywood all over the place. I think about 2001, A Space Odyssey. You know, remember Hal? Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Or that kid in war games that made his computer talk? Yes, they do. How can he talk? It's not a real voice. Uh, This box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? Oh. Good examples. Although those aren't really machines talking, but actors playing the roles of Hal and Joshua, the computers. But do you remember Speak and Spell, the toy that taught you how to spell? Yes, I do. Spell circuit. C-I-R-C-U-I-T. That is correct. Gosh, that sounds so robotic. Thinking about how Siri and Alexa sound now, boy, technology's come a long, long way. Did you know that the first device that could generate continuous human speech electronically was admitted in 1939? 1939? I would not have guessed. Are you serious? Yeah, it was called the Voter for Voice Operation Demonstrator. Voter? Hmm, not the best name, but a magnificent feat for 1939. Yeah, it was invented by a guy named Homer Dudley with Bell Laboratories, and it was a demonstration of their innovations, and it was a highlight of the 1939 World's Fair. How did it work? Well, the speech sounds had to be made manually on a special keyboard that produces all the vowels and consonants of speech, so it required an operator who also had to use a wrist bar and foot pedals and an arm switch to generate sounds. Wow, so it was a workout. And not an easy conversation. No, but I have a recording of it, actually. You want to hear it? Yes, please. Well, in this demonstration, the operator of the voter is a woman named Helen Harper. For example, Helen, will you have the voters say, she saw me? She saw me. That sounded awfully flat. How about a little expression? Say the sentence in answer to these questions. Who saw you? She saw me. Whom did she see? She saw me. Well, did she see you or hear you? She saw me. The intonation. Already, at that time, it's kind of blowing my mind. Although I will say it sounded nothing like the voice AI that we hear today. No computer algorithms were creating that one. Yeah, but it was pretty impressive. My understanding was that it was really difficult to operate, but it paved the way for future machine-operated speech. Wow, and now we have researchers investigating whether that machine-operated speech is changing the way we operate, or at least how we speak. Yeah, and they're also trying to understand our social interaction and behavior toward voice AI. In other words, are we treating these devices like people and building a mental picture of what they are like? Georgia Zalou, who we spoke to earlier, explained it like this. As soon as machines speak to us with voices, they are portraying apparent gender, apparent 
race, a parent regional background, a parent language background, and all of these things in natural human-human conversation are really, really significant and important and affect how we perceive and use language. So are we just doing the same thing when we talk to machines? Or are we sort of creating a, a very specialized, um, separate um, way of, of handling machines? It seems to me it would be unavoidable that we would treat them like machines and not humans. We know, as we're speaking to them, that they are not a human. So doesn't that mean that our language or our voice would change when we talk to devices like Siri? Well, Michelle Cohn is a postdoctoral researcher in linguistics at UC Davis, and she in Georgia did a couple of experiments to figure this out. They had people, both young adults and children, talk to devices and talk to other humans saying the same phrases. They even introduced planned errors with both humans and devices. So they intentionally had a person and a device misunderstand them. Yeah, and here's how Michelle said a human talked with voice AI compared to how a human talked with another human. They're speaking more loudly to voice assistants, often slowly. Um, They produce either increases or decreases in their pitch. Um, One interesting thing with that Siri study is we found that speakers produced less pitch variation, so kind of like more monotone speech to the Siri voice than the human voice. That's not too surprising. So it's like, hey, Siri, what's the weather like? But also people who talk to voice AI are hyper articulating, making the segments of speech slower and clearer. Understood. (laughs) So if our voices change when talking to machines... We are then treating them differently, right? Like they are machines. Well, Georgia says it's not that simple. So what we know about real human-human interaction is that we naturally adapt. Conversation is dynamic. So I'll change my tone of voice or the words that I'm using um, as our conversation is unfolding um, in a natural way in response to your behavior and you do that to me vice versa. So if my tone of voice changes, like maybe I get excited. Oh, yes. You're likely to change your tone of voice and sound excited too. Yeah. You know, and even if I hang around someone with a thick accent, I know I'm likely to pick up on their pronunciation and start speaking like them after a while. Michelle says there's actually a technical term for this. That process is called like alignment or mirroring. The idea is that you adopt the pronunciation patterns of other people to align more closely to them socially, uh, plays a social role. Uh, And so the idea is when you're getting along with someone and you want to convey that, you convey that through your speech patterns, but also in other in your body language and gaze, people do these micro sways together. So there's like this huge intricate dance of coordination. I want to do the micro sway right now. (laughs) But but here's the thing. Devices can't mirror you like this, right? There's no body language. No, but Michelle suggests humans might instead be changing their voice to be more monotone, more clear, to reflect what they're hearing from voice AI or Siri. We could think about it as kind of like another alignment, like they're aligning more towards what they think that voice uh, sounds like, maybe to be better understood. Uh, But the cluster of adaptations really reflect this expectation that it's not going to understand you, even if the actual interaction that day or in the lab is exactly the same for the human. Yeah, I pretty much assume it's never going to understand me on the first try. And I articulate pretty well. I I might even hyper-articulate, but 
anyway, moving on, you did mention that the researchers did experiments with adults and kids. And so as a mom, I'm pretty curious if the kids' voices changed as well. Yeah, so these were school-age kids, age 7 to 12, in one of the experiments. See if you can tell a difference with this exchange. The first one is between a child and a human. What's number three? The word is side. I heard side. Say the sentence one more time. The word is side. Okay. Now see if you can hear the difference between a child and a device. What's number three? The word is kid. I misunderstood that. I heard kit or kid. Repeat the sentence one more time. The word is kid. Got it. Could you tell the difference? Yeah. On the word kid, you can hear the d. The d is overemphasized. Yeah. I could also tell that she was slowing down her voice a little bit. Yeah. I think it's very slight, but Michelle and Georgia say it's a significant difference. Kids actually produce even more kind of evidence that they they perceive the device as having a barrier. People hyper-articulate to devices and kids do it even more. Bigger, like there's a bigger Huge. difference between humans and devices for kids than for than adults produce. It's consistent with this idea that they they're building these mental models and they're also learning how to adapt their speech in different communicative situations, kind of getting back at the what is it revealing about us as humans? We've talked about how we speak to these devices, but what about the way they talk to us? Obviously, these machine-made voices have changed over time, becoming more human-like. Right. The technology has come a long way. Listen to one of the original Apple TTS voices. Wait, what's TTS? Text-to-speech. Computer speak. His name is Bruce. His? They have names? (laughs) Yeah. Say something, Bruce. She had your dark suit and greasy wash water all year. I got the first part, but I'm not sure I understood the end of that one. It definitely sounds more like a machine. Now, let's play the current Siri voice. Oh, I can do that. Hang on. Okay. Hey, Siri. Yes? What's the temperature outside? It's about 93 degrees outside. Thank you. Watch this. Hey, Siri, what is the weather? It's currently clear in 92 degrees. That was an Australian accent, wasn't it? Yeah. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Hi, I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. I'm Siri. Choose the voice you'd like me to use. Okay, so American, Australian, British, Indian, Irish, South African. I kind of like them all. (laughs) You know, there are lots of different voices and styles you can choose from as your default. Michelle and Georgia are studying how we perceive these different types of voices. Their work can also help inform engineers as they develop speech technology. The original Siri and Amazon Alexa voice was a type of speech called concatenative. Mm, Concatenative? What's that mean? Basically, a voiceover artist will come into a studio and record a bunch of sentences and phrases or common words so that computer engineers can piece together every combination of sounds to say any word, even if the voiceover artist never originally recorded that word. For example, the original Siri voiceover artist was a woman named Susan Bennett, and she sounded like this. Hi, I'm Siri. I'm a digital assistant on Apple products. I will show sentences on the screen. Please read them aloud to me. 
They will always be in. Michelle says one thing is very clear about that voice. It sounds discernibly choppy. Uh, it looks choppy if you look at the representation of the speech in a waveform or spectrogram. You can see there's like, it came from different places. The newer method of voice AI is called neural text-to-speech. That's using machine learning uh, to just intuit all of the patterns of a speaker's voice, all the ways that they pause, and kind of abstract from that, uh, and then apply that to, to the speech. So it's conditioned on all of a speaker's prior utterances, but also the immediately preceding context. With neural text-to-speech, you get pauses and breath sounds. Oh, so it sounds much more human. Yeah, listen, this voice is named Joanna. Her first sentence is neural TTS, or text-to-speech. The boy might consider the trap. The second Joanna is concatenative. The boy might consider the trap. Ooh, that's subtle. I mean, if you played them for me a few times, I think I could discern between the two, but they are, it's a subtle difference. Should I play it again? Yeah. Okay, so the first one is neural TTS. The boy might consider the trap. The second, Joanna, is concatenative. The boy might consider the trap. Okay, I can hear it. I closed my eyes this time, and you can hear the first one flows. Right. It just flows more nicely. Wow. But Michelle and Georgia also found that the more human-like a device sounds can impact how well a listener understands it. So if it sounds more human, we're more likely to understand it? Well, you'd think so, but actually the exact opposite. <laughs> They found that the choppier and more concatenative a device sounds, the better it's understood, the better it's heard, especially if there's any noise in the background. Georgia says this has some implications for tech companies. They want the most naturalistic speech, but what we've found in our lab is this trade-off between it sounding really naturalistic with that cutting-edge method of TTS generation and actually being clearer. So the actual old method actually produces more intelligible speech the way that we've mm -hmm. measured it even though the newer way does produce that really smooth, natural speech. I think the bottom line is clear speech, even from a computer, is heard better than casual, natural, human-like speech. I guess that makes sense. I, I certainly can't understand everyone that I talk to. Some people talk really softly, some people mumble. Yeah, I'm not a soft talker. Soft talker. That's really not either of us, though. <laughs> But tech companies making these devices are generating these different styles of voices. Is that using this neural text-to-speech? Yeah, and there is a new neural text-to-speech voice called Newscaster. <laughs> okay, does it sound like us? Yeah, here is Joanna again using neural TTS. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the difference between neural TTS and Newscaster. So here's just neural TTS. Bill wouldn't discuss the dive. And then here's a Newscaster one. Bill wouldn't discuss the dive. Bill wouldn't discuss the dive, Marianne. Oh, it's so, like, stereotypical. I almost want to break into, Bill wouldn't discuss the dive live at five, you know? <laughs> anyway. Tech companies creating voice AI are really pushing the boundary between what sounds like a device and what sounds like a human. Michelle and Georgia played a game with me to really illustrate this, Marianne. And I'm calling it bot or not. Ready? I love it. We're going to play a voice or and not. you say, is it a bot or is it not a bot? Like, is it a human? Is it a text-to-speech, like a generated device voice, or was it recorded? We saw a flock of wild geese. That sounds generated. Mm-hmm. That was Kimberly. The Alexa voice. Yeah, one of the Alexa mm -hmm. voices. Okay, wait. Play it again. We saw a flock of wild geese. Okay, yeah. That one's pretty clear. Yeah, but for me anyway, it got tougher. The farmer harvested his crop. 
Oh, that's harder to tell. <laughs> mm-hmm. Play it again. The farmer harvested his crop. I think that's human. No? Nope. That's an Alexa oh, voice, oh too. Yeah. <laughs> because it was breathy. Yeah. Yeah, the voice quality takes on exactly, yeah. So I saved a couple of voices for you to guess whether it's a bot or not, Marianne. Okay, good. And I want everyone to know this is the first time I'm hearing these voices. So if I'm honest, I'm a little nervous. (laughs) You'll get it, right? Okay, so here's the first one. She made the bed with clean sheets. Bot. Exactly. Yes. Okay. How about this one? Ruth hopes he heard about the hips. That is not a bot. Is it? It's not a bot. Oh, good. <laughs> I was going to say, I could feel like there was a human quality to yeah, it, right? Yeah, okay, yeah. okay. Okay, so this one's really different. It's a different one, and it's a bit harder. Ready? The cat found the bag. Okay, can I hear it again? The cat found the bag. One more time. The cat found the bag. It could go either way. I'm going to say bot. You're going to say bot? Yeah, even though I think it is so close. But I just, there's like a gut instinct in me that's saying it's a bot. It is a bot. Yes! I guess that one totally wrong. It just had like that, there was a quality to it. You know what I mean? Well, you know, researchers have found that adults, older adults like us, have a more difficult time telling the difference between voice AI and human voices compared with children. That makes sense because actually if I wasn't sitting here with my eyes closed listening to that really carefully, I'm sure I couldn't have told the difference. And, you know, thinking about kids, maybe it's because they have grown up with all different kinds of voice technology. They didn't grow up with just the speak and spell. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. So Georgia wonders what happens when voice AI becomes even more human-like, like the computer HAL in 2001 A Space Odyssey. You know, our worst fear is that a computer or a machine is um, kind of too smart for us and um, sort of takes over. This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. Oh, yeah, that gives me that creepy feeling. Yeah, Georgia says there's actually a technical term for it. When a non-human entity is kind of too human, we kind of get creeped out by it. Right. It's called this Mm -hmm. uncanny valley effect. And these voices um, are now getting more and more naturalistic. So we're kind of curious, what does that mean for as we're talking to a device? We know it's a device, but it sounds just like a human. Will that create that sort of uncanny valley effect or not? And yeah, this is one of one of the lines of research that we're interested in. Okay, so I kind of created a faux uncanny valley effect in college. What? (laughs) Okay, this is really weird, but um, when I went to college, this is dating myself, you used to have to register for classes on the phone, and the voice in the phone system really sounded similar to my voice, I thought. And I guess now with everything I've learned in this podcast, I'm not sure if it was based on a human voice or if it was computer generated. Uh, And so I would go around and imitate it and sort of creep my friends out. It was like... um, Welcome to MU Cares, Miami University's call and register easily system. Please wait. So did that sound kind of bot-like? It did. It was very stilted. 
And, you know, it was a tree that you had to press one for, you know, this and that. So maybe it was a real voice that was recorded and then, like, they inserted the words that they needed to. I don't know, Amy. That is kind of freaky. Well, researchers are also curious to know what happens when and if voice AI could start to mirror us and adapt or change the way it speaks based on who it's speaking to. Ooh, is that technically possible? No idea. But think about it. Georgia calls it style shifting. For instance, I don't speak to a child the same way I speak to an adult. I'll change my word choice and maybe the tone of my voice. So why can't Alexa? You make a great point. Maybe that's the next big step to recognize that it's a child's voice. But on a more serious note, I I can't help thinking about the implications if voice AI can, say, impersonate people. Michelle mentioned it's something to take into account. Text-to-speech is getting better all the time. So it's uh, it's hard to know where the boundary is. Uh, I mean, you can type whatever you want, and these voices can produce it. So there's a real potential for harm, too. Well, definitely something to grapple with. And it's also easy to imagine the possibilities. What if it could learn to recognize, say, tension in a voice and then play some calming music? Something to look forward to in the future, I guess. Or maybe something to be afraid of. I'm not really sure. AI is moving very fast. I think that the future of AI is going to be very interesting. I think that we will see a lot of new technologies that will be able to help us in the future. Can you give me an example? Sure. Another exciting development is the rise of AI-powered virtual assistants, such as Alexa or Google Assistant. It's so weird she would say that. Actually, what's really weird is that she mentioned Google Assistant. (laughs) What she should really have mentioned, let's be honest, is Unfold. And the fact that you can hear all of our previous episodes at our website, ucdavis.edu slash unfold. Getting Unfold from Amazon Music. You can learn more about Georges Alou and Michelle Cohn's research at our website as well. I'm Marianne Rush-Sharp. And I'm Amy Quinton. Thanks so much for listening. Unfold is a production of UC Davis. Original music for Unfold comes from Damian Barrett and Curtis Jerome Haynes. Getting Unfold from Amazon Music. <laughs>